Welcome to episode 51 of Teach Me Tiger. Yeah! show are we on again welcome to teach me tiger oh well, that show the show where we talk to our experty and enthusiastic friends to learn about new stuff right on i'm melody i'm chris and i'm also an expert yes i'm your regular host on the show chris is my husband my sweetie pie oh, wow. i feel like and sometimes he co-hosts and because he we live together and he co-hosts the show sometimes but today He's just co-hosting the intro, and then he's actually the expert. So, One like, of, yeah, how there. meta is that? Hi, Chris. Hey, sweetie. <laughs> My loins tingle for you. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're um, both wrapped in pure cellophane right now and wearing nothing else. <laughs> uh, Liz Cooper, yep. who also sometimes co-hosts, right. she is on this episode. I didn't know that. Oh no! That's funny. What a what a surprise! What a what a twist! What a delight! And our friend Thomas Burton is coming on the show. Yes, my favorite friend, Thomas Burton. Well, that's not Your fair to say to my friend. other friends. Wow, but you're is, that Thomas. He is, a, he is a favorite for sure. He's a favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chris, how do you know Thomas? Thomas and I met in a, like 2007 at an aquarium online call center where we both had cubicles and Cubicles. i was in pretty rough shape i was like in the deepest depression of my late 20s and thomas kind of pulled me out of that in a really heroic way he sort of after like two months he was like man something's going on with you and i can tell that you're really fun but like you're all kinds of fucked up and <laughs> so we eventually just sort of started hanging out all the time and uh thomas is just really great he is very sincere and lovely and extremely intelligent, which I used to tell him all the time. I was like, you could be like an engineer or something, man, because he didn't, he wasn't in post-secondary or anything. He was just working this job at, at a call center. And um, yeah, he's really great. He's he's a brilliant guy. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Thomas. Anyway, Thomas. We, we like for a while there, for like two years, we pretty well hung out at work and then after work. You guys are like the male you, version you, of me and Nikki. Nikki. Yeah, yeah. Did you move in together? No, we didn't. But that was yeah. Yeah, that's the final right. chapter. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen when we move out to Thomas's place in Nova Scotia. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're recording this in March of 2020, and everybody in the world is on lockdown. What do you think about that, Chris? I think it's existentially terrifying, but yeah. in my day to day life. It's so far okay because no one we know is in the ICU. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Quarantine's crazy. I think we're having. We're. I mean, we're not technically quarantined. We're okay because we haven't been anywhere or anything. But we're certainly isolating. Anywho, this is a wild time in the world. It is the wildest. It's funny. 
part of me feels like we should be documenting it somehow and then part of me feels like it's just <laughs> exactly the same but minus fucking like capitalism basically yeah and but, mi- minus all of the fun get-togethers we have with people oh yeah that's true yep. i really miss our friends mm-hmm. you know what's cool though what's that some of our friends are joining us via the miracle of the internet coming up on this show yeah. and it's really great and miraculous as yeah. i mentioned Wow, internet, thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) The show we're doing is all about marine biology, Biology. baby. That's what I have a degree in. Yeah, Chris is a marine biologist, and his friend Thomas is also really a bona fide aquarium aquarium expert. Yep, for sure. So we're going to be talking about coral reefs. Yep. Giant squid, octopi, Mariana's Trench. Trench. All kinds of stuff. And more, baby. Stay tuned. Yeah. (laughs) Before we get on to our chat with Thomas and Liz, Chris. Yep. The last time we recorded together, you teased the story of how some people know you as Sean Bears. Oh, yeah. And you promised (laughs) that you were going to explain it the next time you're on the podcast. Now, we were supposed to have recorded a podcast in Toronto with with Chris's- all those people. Old- buds yeah in yeah in the toronto area i feel like yeah people are tuning in they saw that you're on the show they <laughs> right. need to know why you're sometimes known as sean bears it's yeah, only sure. fair because you promised it last time well it's my friend robin uh r-o-b-y-n is very funny and she used to sort of start saying my name like almost like it was french like sean bears mm-hmm. instead of chambers and then it somehow evolved into sean bears and then eventually shawnee b was my nickname (laughs) and literally they would introduce me to new people as sean or shawnee b (laughs) did you answer to it yeah because they called it called me shawnee b all the time but like new people you're meeting they'd be like hey sean you'd be like what's up yep sometimes groups of people knew me as shawnee b or sean (laughs) no i didn't i didn't know that (laughs) i think we would usually unmask the the joke at some point but it was a fun nickname shawnee b is a fun fun (laughs) nickname like it sounds like i'm a hip-hop star (laughs) (laughs) and i've heard you do like fun shawnee b characters right um I think Chris does a shtick where he says the words peach juice oh, in a funny yeah. way. That's, I not think a sh- that's not a Shawnee B thing. I feel like you... Can <laughs> that's you... based on how my little brother used to say peach juice because he wanted the Tim Hortons peach juice. I'm sure I've heard you say Shawnee B peach in juice. the same... <laughs> Shawnee B. Is this, this is the character you're talking about? This weird, nasally, lispy guy? Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a fun guy, but he's not very outgoing, right? <laughs> he's cool, though. He's all good. <laughs> and what's his favorite drink again? Peach juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Thank you for clarifying no that, yep. Shawnee B. Do you have any week peaks? Anything fun? I mean, we've been <laughs> stuck at home. I mean, the library. I'm doing a, a, a an aquarium install, like a free aquarium install at the Perth Public Library here in town. It'd be a saltwater reef tank, and I'm basically closing in on finishing that up it's all started up and ready to go it's just we need the library to reopen and such cool that's been cool yeah mel what's your week been like outside of what i know can i get that hot week peak mel (laughs) (laughs) i think my week peak just happened which was that the kids and i went for a little scavenger hunt yeah and we gathered materials outside like sticks and grass and bark 
Right. And we built a little fairy hut and it's really cute and it was fun. And Holly was having such a stinking great time. She kept saying, I'm having so much fun. What a great idea, mom. Wow. I really like fairies too, mom. Did you really like fairies when you were a kid? (laughs) Like she's so into it. I admire that you're able to do these things with the children with an enthusiasm. I really enjoy crafting. That's good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was fun. Yeah. Cool. Let's get to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Thomas Burton calling in from, where are you at, Thomas? I am in rural Nova Scotia in a little place called Upper Nine Mile River, because they couldn't think of anything shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. And Liz, Liz Cooper. Hi, Liz. Hi. I'm calling in from Kingston. (laughs) Yeah. It's COVID-19. Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And it's COVID-19. COVID-19. We're all in our homes. Locked away from the world. <laughs> um, anyway, we're here together on the internet. Isn't that magical? Yay, the it internet. It is magical. Internet. Uh, Thomas and Liz, have you guys ever met? No. No. No, this is, this is the first time we're, we're having the uh, pleasure of conversing. It's true. You guys would like each other, I think, for sure. Yeah. Probably. Cause I- I'm getting that vibe. <laughs> Thomas is like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> this, this is actually really fun. This is fun. I get along with everyone. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I pretty well. I would say I get along with everyone too. But then I'm like, there's that one person you want to kill. I, actually, I was literally just thinking of them in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we're here to talk about cool shit, not people I hate. <laughs> oh, come on, Liz, give us a list: names, phone numbers, addresses. We're here to talk about the ocean. I mean, like <laughs> the ocean of yeah. people Liz hates. Right. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> Sing. Okay, so what is it that you do, aquarium expert Thomas? Oh, so I've been, I guess, what I would call an aquatics communicator and educator um, on YouTube for the last five years. So I started off working in a, like in an office for a well-known company called Big Al's. And I eventually, you know, when I moved out to Nova Scotia, I continued to do the same thing, just making videos, but from a different location. So I was doing it from home in Nova Scotia. And I still do that now, but I'm doing it with another company called Bulk Reef Supply, uh, which focuses mainly on the saltwater side of the hobby, which is great because that's my favorite side of it. No offense, freshwater. I love freshwater too, but that's kind of where my passion lies. And before that, when I was with Big Owls, I was doing mostly broad education for beginners in the freshwater side. So I've kind of dabbled on both ends of it. But yeah, I just, I get to be on camera and help people be successful with aquariums. That sounds very satisfying. Cool. Yeah, it's not too bad. You're into frogs too, aren't you? Oh, Yes, I love frogs. <laughs> I, I like reptiles and amphibians. and uh, Oh, and snakes. Everything. Didn't you have snakes for a while, or am I mixing up with lots, someone else? Lots and lots no, of snakes. No, absolutely. Yeah, I used to breed ball pythons and western hognose, uh, okay. I, but I've kept all kinds of snakes. Yeah, I'm a weird dude. I'm realizing when we're saying all this out loud. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I'm fascinated with nature. I love I love animals. They're awesome. Okay, before we get to the meat of this thing, the uh, gooey center, 
<laughs> we're we're gonna do an icebreaker question real quick. Cool. Let's do it. Sure. Roll up your sleeves, pull up your socks, reach on into Melody's box. Icebreakers. Okay, since Thomas and Liz aren't here with us, Chris, could you just um reach in my box there for a second? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Good lord. Good Gentle phrasing boom. Okay. I'm pushing in and yep. then pulling out. Okay. Thank- yep. Oh man, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, what is your favorite meal to cook and why? My favorite meal to cook and why this is so lame. I like cooking. Do a different uh, one. Do a different one if you think it's lame. Do a different one. Okay. I'll no, no. No, no, no. It's not the question it's lame, it's just my answer. Oh, okay. Let's hear have- it. <laughs> and I have a solid I have a solid reason. So the thing I enjoy cooking most often is I guess just uh spaghetti bolognese. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Because Classic. yeah, cuz I can cook it. It's the one thing I can pull off in like 15 minutes where I've fed myself, my wife and my kids. Everybody thinks it tastes good and I don't have to worry about screwing it up cuz I've done it a thousand times. Uh, cuz I'm not the greatest cook honestly. My wife's an amazing cook. I'm just garbage. Surprises me <laughs> that you're not a good cook cuz you're good with chemistry and exacting portions. Why does that sound so hot? <laughs> <laughs> you should see Chris is like he's got this really intense expression on his face too. Like his brows really like Furrowed. Furrowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's like licking the mic now. <laughs> oh, God, please. <laughs> it's a bromance. It's a bromance. It always was. Tale really. as old as time. <laughs> Chris. Yep. What's your favorite thing to cook? Are we talking about things that kids will eat? Because <laughs> if that's the question, I'm not. my favorite thing that I cook is. Hummus. I mean, my favorite <laughs> thing that I cook is Portuguese custard tarts. Oh, yeah. They're complex, delicious. People don't know what they are. Or if they do, they're, like, very impressed. And also, they're delicious. And mm-hmm. it, it always makes everyone happy. Not but that it's... Is it that you enjoy cooking them or you enjoy the attention you get when you make them? I don't know. But I do enjoy doing it. Okay. Because they come I, with I, a certain could... level of prestige. Yeah. Exactly. You enjoy being good at them. Because mm-hmm. they're difficult, just like reef tanks. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Lizzie, mm. what's your favorite thing to cook? That's kind of hard to say right now because I've been getting pretty good at cooking a lot of things. But... Favorite vegetarian dish? Honestly, I think that it is. It's pretty basic. It's just brown rice, sautéed tofu, and like some sort of sautéed vegetable like broccoli or spinach or kale or something like that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the tahini sauce that goes on top of it Ooh. is what makes it the thing yes that sounds amazing. and it's real good and it's so easy it's just tahini soy sauce garlic and some water and you mix it all up and then you pour it on top of those things i just said i'm gonna make that nice. tomorrow thanks liz yeah it's really so, good do you put a lot of sauce or just a tahini tiny bit <laughs> <laughs> He's a natural. He's clearly a dad. What a dork. (laughs) What a total dork. (laughs) That was good. The other thing I really like, I'm just going to do two. I also really like making burrito bowls. Uh So you make like a burrito filling, but you make brown rice and then put the filling on top of the rice in a bowl and you put cheese and sour cream on top of it. And it's really good. Hmm. That sounds pretty good. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I've been killing it lately. During the COVID pandemic, Jam and I have been eating like royalty. 
I'm going to have gout by the time I go back to work. (laughs) (laughs) I keep seeing all of these memes um, on Instagram and stuff that are like, it's okay if your body changes when your routine changes. Like, everybody is sitting around and eating snacks. In fact, Chris and I were like, we said to our kids, we're like, you know what? the pandemic baby we're gonna get ice cream (laughs) and hot chocolate and marshmallows too (laughs) well ice cream is also a great motivating tool just for getting pajamas on like just (laughs) right because like holly takes like forever except if you're like hey i'll give you a tablespoon of ice cream (laughs) if you get your jammies on in the next 20 seconds (laughs) a tablespoon really yeah because i like i'll take like a tiny little cup and put like a you don't have to give kids a lot of ice cream to motivate them you just have to give them a taste (laughs) <laughs> are you guys running low on ice cream you no but you don't want to give kids a shit ton of ice cream at 7 30 at night you want to give them a tiny little taste to get them into their fucking jammy <laughs> i'll do whatever the hell it takes to make my kids do whatever i don't even care anymore my sanity is gone i brought mini marshmallows on a walk the other day wow <laughs> wait can i ask you guys something yep yeah as parents all of you are you guys all actually losing your mind right now I'm okay. Melody and I are like switching back and forth quite a bit. It's, uh-huh. it's fine. We've been doing the same whole, the only thing in our lives that realistically has changed is we no longer get Tim Hortons on our morning drive. That's literally it. My life has been Groundhog Day for the last two years and I've been stuck in this house uh, with, with my wife and kids. Like, Wait, flat but on. your kids go to school or do you homeschool them? They're both little. So my daughter's uh, like four. So she hasn't started just yet. And my son's two and a half. So Oh, they're just okay. yeah so they're, they're just here tearing shit up like little kids do i've got i haven't even painted this house yet because there's so much crayon on the wall that there's no point i so gotta wait for them to get it all out exactly the same yeah it's just the chaos has not changed at all except for now i take coffee with me instead of wasting my if anything COVID has saved me money interesting right i think I, and and my my life is still in, or like my relationship with my wife is still intact. Apparently, divorce rates have gone through the roof because people are stuck in, at home with each other. After really? like two, after weeks two weeks already, people like are filing for divorce. Very fast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Give it a minute, people. <laughs> <laughs> they were just waiting for an excuse for sure. Okay, are you guys all ready to dive in? Yes. Get it. Oh, yeah, I see what you did we're there. We're scuba divers. You're we're talking about water diving. Diving into water. <laughs> First of all, I am. Okay. Are you diving in right now? Splash. I'm in there. All right, great. <laughs> is your ice melted? Everybody's ice is melted. Is that what we're diving into? Melted ice. Oh yeah, my ice mm-hmm. is melted. Perfect. Icebreakers. First of all, Chris, mm. what is your? Favorite, most insane sea creature, or just favorite, or just most insane, or scariest, or whatever? (laughs) A very broad, unspecified (laughs) question. Tell Uh, me something crazy about the ocean is what I'm after. (laughs) There are essentially what what, what looks like and is related to a potato bug that is like the size of our cat. Oh! (laughs) It's called an isopod. They're gigantic. They're like maybe the size of an NFL football and they look just like a potato bug and they're closely related. They're both, they're both actually isopods are in the same family and that's a pretty crazy creature. What's it called? Can you tell them? I want to look it up on the internet. It's an isopod, like a giant isopod or a deep sea isopod. Where do they live? Take a wild fucking guess, Melody. (laughs) (laughs) They live in all of the deep seas? I I actually think they are pan-global. I don't think they're contained to any one continent or sea. Okay. Oh, my 
God. Yeah, that's creepy, right? right? <laughs> There's pictures of people holding them. Yeah, Ew, yeah. they you know touch what? it? No, I mean, touch it. the reason why it grosses me out isn't because it looks like a bug. Yeah. It's because it looks exactly like the face hugger in Aliens. Mm. <sighs> like the legs do. Yeah, yeah, they're hooky. The legs do. They're very hooky. Yeah. Thomas, what's yours? What's mine? I'll, I'll, before I say that, I'll tell you something absolutely nuts that I think is hilarious. What's that? Those those giant isopods have become such a fad. Yeah. Uh, because when they were discovered, people just fell in love with them, even though they're like giant ugly things. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, you know, interesting. Yeah. But they're on AliExpress or Wish.com or yeah. wherever the heck you want. You can get stuffed like plushies. Uh, plushies? Oh, Life-size God. plushies. Ugh. Yeah. I don't want to cuddle these. <laughs> Like that's what you're gonna buy your like your kids. Here, to... here sweetheart, cuddle cuddle this disgusting animal. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. the plushie is adorable. Oh, there you go. There you go. See, the plushie is really cute. It's cute in a very like ultra artistic sort of way. Actually, Melody, because of some of the art that I know you've made, you'd probably really like the plushie. Huh. <laughs> Making the ugly cute plushie. Yeah, style. yeah, it's it's cute. Okay. Uh, what do I like? What do I like in the ocean? Ugh, there's so many weird things in the ocean, but it, it, I'm going to just be honest. My favorite thing, which is actually super weird when you get right down in, into the nitty gritty of them, is corals. Like, it doesn't really matter what coral. I, I prefer reef building corals. But, like, it, when you look at a coral, most people just see what looks like a rock or they assume it's a plant. Uh, but they don't realize that, like, your typical you know, staghorn branching coral is a colony of thousands of animals that all share the same structure. And a lot of the time uh, have the same gut. So all the polyps are these individual like anemone like animals in this structure. Although they're their own little animals, all their guts are connected together. So if one eats, that nutrients is spread throughout the entire coral. Yeah. Like there's so many fascinating things. The fact that they're animals that have plants that live inside them and uh, the, the fact that they produce their own sunscreen in the form of these super cool, vibrant colors. Like corals have fascinated me forever and ever and ever. And it's my favorite part of, you know, the aquarium hobby is growing corals. I love gardening with corals. Okay, well, let me, gushing. Let me okay, circle back for a minute because <laughs> Melody asked me a really weird unspecified question. My favorite animal is also corals in the sea, but that's not what I was asked. Because <laughs> 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 my favorite animal, to be clear, is not gross giant isopods. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just living their though, lives. Chris. Yeah, but they're not my favorite. Melody just asked me to say something weird or whatever. Crazy. <laughs> There's a fish called a snailfish that looks like a blob with a, a it looks like an overgrown sperm basically. It looks like an old they have like an old man face on it, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I've they seen are this. the ugliest things on the yeah. face of the earth. But hey, they exist. Yeah. Deep down where you can't see. What I always tell people about coral is that it's like cuz people they're like not impressed because they don't know what they're looking at. <laughs> And so I'm like, okay, it's a bunch of jellyfish that can't move that up that are upside down that live in a house together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. I used to bug Chris so. whenever we would go into uh fish stores about what I like to call puppy dog fish. Oh, the dog face puffers. Yeah, Melody does like the dog face puffer. <laughs> <laughs> so look that up on the internet. <laughs> Which someone offered me one for free like three, four months ago, and I said no. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> they look like little seals. Yeah. They're like they pugs. 
They're cute. Like, how are they fuzzy? They're not fuzzy. They just have like sandpapery skin. It looks like fuzz. Yeah. Why can't Why can't I have one again? Uh, they they eat coral. Well, they eat. They'll just they just like they're like bulldozers. They just rip everything apart. Right. Yeah. Like in a separate yeah. puppy <laughs> dog <laughs> fish tank. Yeah, you'd have to have a predator tank. Yeah. Okay. What do and they? They get pretty big. Dog face. Yeah, they do. Yeah, probably eighteen inches long or something. Oh wow. Yeah. Yep. All right. Big boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in some of these deep sea fish. Okay. So this is like a two-part question, because mm-hmm. I think it's really weird that animals can live with all the pressure of the sea on top of them. Yeah. So first of all, do any creatures live in the Mariana Trench? Yeah. And that is the deepest part of the ocean. Right. And how can they live there, and what are they? And name all of them in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> and go. All right, Chris, you're the marine biologist. Get on it. Uh, okay, well, there's lots of different... Actually, it's more of a general question about right. super, super deep sea living animals. A lot of the deep sea stuff sure. is like invertebrates, like sort of really fine-bodied invertebrates or like fine-bodied fish. To be honest with you, I don't know how they're able to survive down there. I don't know what the physiological adaptations are. I I would uh, assume to some degree because they're basically down there already, it's not going to be like if we went down there being crushed by bazillions of pounds of uh, pressure uh, because it's relative to them. They're already yeah. down there. So, But there's tons. There's actually like a remarkable amount of species and probably tons that we still haven't found because every time uh, they do a deep sea dive, uh, whether it's in the Mar- Marianas Trench, which is insanely deep, or anywhere else that's just pitch black and super deep in the ocean, they always manage to find new species because really? they just don't spend enough time down there. It's very difficult. It's, you know, akin to... Getting getting a man or woman or uh, even just a robot down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench is pretty. It's 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 almost akin to going to the moon. Like we can go to the moon, but it costs a ton of money and a, a lot of resources, and it's dangerous. Going to the bottom of the Marianas Trench is very similar. Uh, it costs a lot of money. Well, okay, so lots of resources. It's very dangerous. How what, deep is it? How deep couple, is the Marianas Trench? A couple Trench? of miles, I think. If we inverted Mount Everest, is it like that? Oh, I think it's way more than that. It's now deep. I'm going to Google it. It's miles, yeah, many it's... miles deep. But All right. one of the yeah. reasons why the pressure doesn't crush the animals is they don't have any air inside them, right? Yeah. So there's a weird thing in sort of physics and chemistry where you actually can't compress liquids. They don't compress. You can mm. compress solids. You can kind of flatten them. You can compress gas, but you actually can't compress a liquid. So even if there's a ton of force pushing on an animal that's all liquid and has no air spaces inside of it, it won't actually push in on anything. Huh. Oh. They don't have any air inside them. They're just water. So they, I, I think probably, I would imagine none of the deep sea fish have a swim bladder. Because it would get crushed. Interesting. Okay. Because huh. most of the uh, that makes a lot a lot of fish use a little bladder full of gas to regulate how buoyant they are in the water, and they just it just sort of automatically fills and and empties with I believe nitrogen inside their bodies. And uh, yeah, I would imagine that deep sea fish do not have a swim bladder because it would get absolutely destroyed. Gotcha. Okay, so I have this infographic. Mount Everest is twenty nine thousand feet high. Okay. And the Marianas Trench is thirty six thousand feet deep. There you go. So oh, it's lay. deeper. Th- it's deeper than Mount Everest is high. So that's like eight miles deep, maybe I think. And it's it's deeper than most commercial airlines cruise at. Right on. And what kind of animals are down there? Is it just like 
fish or is there like really weird shit down there? What lives oh, in the dark? For sure. Animals from every clade, I imagine, live down there. From every what? Every different group of animals. There's representatives. All right. Don't so, use your, your jargon around here, Chris. This isn't for education. <laughs> this is semi-educational. There's, there's... We don't know the words yet. Let's That's yeah, true. let's not fly yeah. over everyone's head, Chris. Let's let's play nice here. So there's shrimp. <laughs> there's uh <laughs> there's different amphipods, copepods. This is basically plankton, uh okay. zooplankton. Mm-hmm. There's probably very little phytoplankton because no there's phyto-plankton. no light. But lots of, um lots of worms, different types of worms. Yeah. Ew. Some filter feeding, some detrivorous. What does that mean? That means just they eat like dead stuff. Actually, a lot of detrivores live down there. So like uh things that eat dead stuff. It's because you have a lot of Hag sort of fish. like litter that rains down from above right. and eventually hits the bottom. So worms and things like that tend to break things Like down. a whole whale body. Yeah. Exactly. And, and for sure hagfish are down there, yep. What are hagfish? It's like a lamprey, like a jawless primitive fish that kind of can tie itself in knots Ooh. and sort of is very like eel-like. It looks like an eel, but it's oh. not quite an eel. It, and they make yeah, a lot of slime. Oh, it's like a nightmare. <laughs> it is a nightmare fish. Yes. Yeah. Didn't we actually? I saw a news oh. article. Oh my just god! Like... I should stop googling these things. <laughs> you should just. There's a news article on the internet somewhere of uh, like a shipment of hagfish that spilled on the highway, oh and it god. literally because of the amount of slime they oh. produce, it just turned into this gigantic pool of white like. Ugh. Jizz. That's like, they just straight up. <laughs> they were like do shipping. Do people eat hagfish? On yeah, the some pie podcast. Do, yeah. On the pie podcast, we just did. Yeah. Um. W- didn't we learn that there's a place in England where they make oh, a hagfish right. pie that's or right. something? That's right. Yeah, that's a local delicacy somewhere in England. Is a hagfish pie. The only reason I ask is because I used to live in South Korea and I googled hagfish and then there's like shows like a tank of hagfish and I was just thinking like that looks like the tanks of animals I used to see outside of restaurants in Korea. Oh. And I thought they were like some Oh, I just look at it says Korean hagfish. Yep, people eat it. Oh my god, don't google that. People Yummy. I mean like I don't want to be judgmental or whatever, but you used to tell me about a lot of weird stuff people were eating in Korea. I'm sure it's lovely, but I, it seemed gross. Yeah, I mean, different cultures have different eating habits, know, for sure. I, know, I, know. I don't and like I, hate Korea. I mean, I couldn't do it. I lived there for six months, and I love Korean food, but I couldn't eat the hagfish, which is now what I realize what it is. I couldn't eat live octopus. I couldn't eat smoked um, silkworm larvae. Ugh. I couldn't eat super raw fish because they serve sushi a bit differently there eating insects I, i'm sure that some of them some of it's great but i can't can't not I, yet i won't i've straight up done it <laughs> i mean right what, I'll eat when anything in the ocean what? but i won't eat fucking insects Ugh. thomas what insects have you eaten uh chocolate covered ants crickets and something else but i can't remember what were the? But, oh, they were... I, I would I would just eat. Oh, I've just like straight up eaten a, a super worm before. Like I don't care. A Ugh. super worm? Yeah, super oh. worms are just like big mealworms. Gross. Yeah. Beetle larvae. What it tastes like? What when was you, the texture when like? When you work in pet stores, yeah. uh, texture is kind of like crunchy. It's like uh, it's like a weird crunchy outer shell. Um, almost okay. You know, inside of like a popcorn, like the little kernel bit that's left over that gets stuck in your teeth. Yeah, the hard yes. part. That's what it's like <sighs> on the outside. And okay. then on the inside, it's like just k- 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 juice. Ugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> look, there's nothing about it that's nice. Like, Ugh. you don't eat these things because, like, oh, yeah, this is no. awesome. This is all it's dare more like, uh, Were you? Yeah. Were you trying to impress a girl? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was trying to get a free arowana, and I got it. So oh, I'm wow. happy. Good for you. Dare-based eating. <laughs> and just um, just to just to reiterate that was arowana the fish if anybody wants to know it's a silver arowana and i i very much i also ate a crayfish live to get uh okay. free fish at the store back in the day i've but eaten live whatever. shrimp and live urchin but that's all good yeah those are yummy <laughs> uh, what do you think I, about the ethical implications of eating animals live i don't think much about it they eat each other live. Yep. I don't care. And we we used to eat them live when we were, you know, primates and such. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm not saying everybody should just go out and start eating animals live. If like, I hadn't obviously. eaten those shrimp live, they would have eaten me. Okay, <laughs> oh. they were an inch and a half long, and there were hundreds of them, hundreds oh, in a bucket. <laughs> you just ate them live. If I'd live stepped fl- one foot in that bucket, you'd be, you'd <laughs> have, be a dead man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll say for sure, eating live things is not for everybody. Yeah. Like, eating a live octopus looks weird. It looks yeah. like a weird experience. It yeah, doesn't look like do fun for the no. octopus. I also did my, my live eating on a dare. So, again, dare-based eating. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, I think I, I think my professor the eating like, the live octopus thing is is it. weird for the person and also weird for the octopus because they're it's fighting the whole time. Well, oh, octopus can, especially yeah. is like very intelligent. A shrimp doesn't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. Hey guys, yeah. so can you clarify on this eating a live octopus? How does that even? I don't want to be gross. They chop or whatever, it up. But they chop it up while it's alive. Yeah. And then eat it. Yeah. Huh. Uh, there's also a, a practice where they basically just deep beak them. So they take the only real bone they have in their body, which right. is their beak, remove it. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure if they leave the ink sac in it, like their little ink gland, but then they just grab chopsticks, stick it in soy sauce, and then in the mouth it goes. Right. Oh, um, but I do know they deep beak it first. So either way, I mean, it can't be a pleasant experience, you know, have your face ripped out and then get eaten by something crazy rough yeah things got dark fast yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) um on that note what can you tell us about octopi me either one of you both of you i'll start because i'm a marine by fucking ologist (laughs) (laughs) i always knew you were by something (laughs) oh hey oh it's a secret thomas (laughs) um they're one of the strangest, well, they're probably the strangest mollusks. So they're related to like snails and clams and, and things like that, even though they don't really look it. No. Um, they, they separated off really, really early. So they don't even have the same larvae. Usually you can kind of group animals together by the type of larvae that they have or what their larvae looks like under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Octopus larvae look completely different. They don't have veliger larvae, which is what all of the other ones have basically. Even snails that lay eggs have a veliger that's within the egg and octopus don't have. I actually don't know what the name of octopus larvae are, but they're different. And they are classified as mollusks because they have a mantle. And a mantle is the calcium secreting tissue that makes the beak. Octopuses, uh, like Chris was mentioning, octopuses are really, really interesting because they're genetically so different from us and so different from anything else on the planet because they've 
deviated very, very early on. So they might as well, like in comparison to to humans and other animals, they might as well be aliens. They're that far away genetically. They're just yeah. completely bizarre, actually, uh, which is weird. Did you read up about what they what they do differently? Did you read up about the genetic difference? What it actually No, no, is? no. Tell me. Okay. Tell me, tell me. So every other animal on the planet... When it makes proteins and stuff like that, and when it tries to reproduce cells, it takes the DNA, and the DNA unzips into two pieces of RNA. DNA is basically just two strands of RNA wrapped around each other. Mm-hmm. Then there's little little reading molecules that copy these little bits of DNA to make all the proteins that make up our bodies. Octopuses have evolved so that their readers read DNA, not RNA, so they don't have to unzip their DNA to make proteins, which is insane. Everything else. So they skip a stage. Yeah. So as a result, they have very little in terms of like metabolic diseases caused like there's no cancer because they're never their their cells aren't constantly ripping apart their DNA and making little little errors and stuff. But the trade off is they now think octopuses evolve at a rate that is extremely slow because you don't get any copying errors. So they're not constantly doing all these like little edits to their RNA and piecing things back together and so they they evolve they think maybe at like at a rate one tenth of everything else interesting so mutations don't happen nearly as <laughs> That's often because right. they're not pulling their, no... their rna their dna apart at all they're just straight copying ah. they're straight making proteins from the dna instead of from rna i pull my dna apart yeah. all the time <laughs> well <laughs> you and i do <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the physiological difference. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know how you would go to how how that would come to be because it's like a basic tenet of how animal life works. Aliens. Yeah, it could be aliens. I don't know. We need that meme of that guy with the crazy hair. <laughs> yeah, we do. There's so many. Any topic, if you look yeah. up whatever meme, that guy comes up. I don't know what guy you're talking about. Have you seen Ancient Aliens, Liz? Oh, it's so funny. Oh, I'm going to look it up right now. Oh, look God. up Ancient Aliens, aliens meme guy or whatever. He's yeah. the best. Are they pretty solitary? Yes, they are solitary, Melody. Yeah, completely solitary. Yeah. I'm so interested in them because they're so friggin' smart. Like, yeah. we've all seen videos of them or heard stories of them, like, <laughs> escaping out of aquariums <laughs> and going into the fridge right. and, like, yep. getting a snack yeah, and going back. Going and, back in the... yeah. You know? So Is the... that true? Yeah, yeah, oh, there's yeah. video of them like going and getting snacks and stuff. It's crazy. Um, and then going back into their cage. Yes. Yeah, into their tank. Yeah, because they're like, well, they'll look around for a while, but then they're like, well, I'm going to need some water. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the other cephalopods like squid. Oh, sorry. They're, in a, they're in a group of, of mollusks called cephalopods. Uh-huh. The other cephalopods are all live in groups or, or hang out in groups quite a bit squid and, and, and cuttlefish. Huh. Then we wouldn't know anything about how they communicate. I mean, they, they just literally they like almost certainly communicate just like a lot of the other cephalopods, which is with sort of like color patterns and shapes. Yes. So they can change color and shape really quickly. There's a there's a really interesting octopus called the mimic octopus that basically that. just like anytime it wants to go anywhere, it basically just chooses an animal that it thinks would be very inconspicuous at that time. And it changes its shape and color to look very much like it. And then it it sort of goes somewhere as that animal and then it finds a new little hole and then goes back in the hole. Crazy. So, so it can, crazy. It can sort of turn into like a little starfish or like a, it'll turn into like an a, eel. A, a, turn into a flounder. That's sort of the classic little fish. It like scoots along the bottom. Right. And yeah, it's very interesting and beautiful black and white stripes and stuff. Um, How do 
how do they change color? They have little, little, okay. Inside their cells, they have little packets of, of, um, chromatophores, which are sort of like little contractile balls of, of pigment. And okay. they can basically sort of contract them down or open them up. And so they sort of like flash a color within their yeah. cells. They're just, yeah, they're just opening these little, these little compartments of pigment to face you or face like to sort of get bigger or smaller in very complicated patterns. That's so crazy. Which would require, I'm sure, a huge amount of neurological tissue, whether you want to call that brain tissue or not. But like, yeah, the control of it is crazy, especially like if you look at cuttlefish, like wave, they can make sort of like waves of color travel down their bodies. It's kind of insane. And a cuttlefish looks kind of like an octopus, right? It looks like a squid, but kind of fat. And a, (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like a chubby squid, like Don't a chubby cute that, squid. Well, they're very cute. They're they're probably they the cutest cute. of the the group, uh, and also yeah, very intelligent. Yeah, and I would a, have a cuttlefish. The cutest stuff. name, also cuttle. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not Actually, cuttle with a D. It's cuttle with a T. Yeah, it's they're named after a bone that's inside them called the cuttle bone. C u t t l e, which you'll find at pet stores sold for birds oh, to chew on. You yes, know those those yes! white things? Those are cuttle bones. What? Yeah. Wow, I know those things. Yeah. It's which... the spines of their enemies, the cuttlefish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that birds and cuttlefish are mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they sell them at the pet store, because they got to have their trophies, man. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll tell you something really cool about cuttlefish, too, that I've always found super fascinating. Um, there's a, a, a specific species of cuttlefish that uh, when it comes breeding time, they all flock together because... Is this the giant like one? Do. The really big yes. one? Yes. Yeah, so the okay, giant cuttlefish, the biggest, baddest males, they get all up in each other's faces and spar and fight and grapple each other over the females. And then the smaller males have absolutely no hope in hell of uh, fighting with these really, really huge dominant males. So while those males are distracted beating the snot out of each other... They basically camouflage themselves and change their appearance to look like females. That allows them to slip past the males that are fighting unnoticed so they can get up real nice and close (laughs) to the females. And then they quickly pass the packet, which is their version of sex. Yeah. So they basically have a sperm packet. They pass it on to the female. The female takes it. And then these cross-dressing males just bugger off out of the way. And that in itself is... Yeah, super interesting <laughs> that they found a way around it, right? Super so wait, intelligent does that, creatures. Does that mean it's actually better to be a smaller male or to be a, like, statistically, who gets their genes passed on more, the big ones or the little ones? Mm. Well, that's the thing. I've been, say. I've like hypothesized, and I'm sure other people have too, that over time, it's going to change so that these big dominant males are being phased out and you have these smaller sneaker males actually getting more of their DNA through, right? So then we're going to have, you know, more and more of these sneaker males showing up until, I, I would assume, until there's more sneaker males than there are bigger males, but then that doesn't bode well for these smaller males anymore because then the big male is going to have no other big males to fight. He's just going to beat the snot out of all the little ones and then he'll still get the female. So I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I think it's going to just like like a pendulum swing back and forth. Yeah. Well, and Thomas mentioned something interesting about the whole group of animals too is that they males kind of have like a little a little literally like a little I don't know, marble-sized packet of sperm and they just like here you go. <laughs> they just like pass it over to the female. <laughs> the female's like, "Cool, thanks." 
<laughs> and she puts it in her just little puts pocket. Just in her pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could huh. you imagine if, like, if dick pics were just, like, a guy showing you a picture of a white marble? <laughs> yeah. It's literally, so like, bizarre. it's like, it's like a, like a, like a trope of a, of a drug deal where you, like, pass this little packet off to one person. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, in a weird handshake thing. <laughs> And when they do it, does it really look like they've just passed something over? I yep. believe so. Yeah, it's literally like just like a little ball. Do they like stuff. hold it in one of their tentacles? Yeah, they use their tentacles. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. that's so crazy. Speaking of cuttlefish that aren't squid but look like them, how come we don't ever see live giant squids? It's a good question. I'm gonna tackle this a little bit, and then I'm gonna let Chris, the marine biologist, kind of take over because I'm not entirely sure. But I think to some degree, they have no reason to really come to the surface. But when they come up fast, it'll often kill them. Oh. So if they get dragged up from a current or brought up against their will, whether it's by like, I don't know, like a sperm whale or a something. sperm whale. Like, yeah, doing his job poorly. Just I, I can imagine that that decompression is what's affecting them and killing them. Or we just don't see them until they come up dead. Like they die and they float to the surface. But I can't imagine why a dead squid wouldn't just sink to the bottom unless it somehow fills with gas. Chris, this is your turn now. You mm. tell me. Yeah, I think uh, you're going to get some bloating at first because right. it comes up for sure. So it's, a lot, it's a lot grosser than I thought uh, yeah. of an answer but I'd get. <laughs> also, Liz, they do, they do have video now of giant squid. There's a couple of videos. Oh, because um, I know they've washed up on shore places. Yeah, so there was there was like years and years and years where it was like... No video, no video. I think about three or four years ago, there was a video or two that got captured. But I think a couple of reasons, they're probably quite rare. Like they probably, usually the larger the animal, the fewer there are of them because they're essentially an apex predator or very close to it. In this case, just the sperm whales go after them. And uh, yeah, they're just really deep and the ocean is huge. And we don't really have a lot of subs just like cruising around trying to take pictures at 5,000 feet or whatever. You know, so it's so crazy. The idea, the idea that a whale that yep. needs to breathe air can go down so deep that it can eat a giant squid like blows my mind. Whales are definitely hardcore. Yep. <laughs> I have They're a so question hardcore. about another hardcore creature. Okay. What's up with electric eels? Are they electric? How do they do that? Can they like, how does that work? What's going on there? Tell me all about it. Either one of you. Does anyone know anything about electric eels? <laughs> Liz? <laughs> I do. I, I know a little bit. So yeah. number one, uh, electric eels are actually not eels. They're fish. Yeah. And they're from a group of fish called, I believe they're electric fishes. It's a pretty, pretty big group of fish. There's more, more That's, of them in there than you'd think. Is that like um, elephant noses and stuff but like also, that? Yeah. And electric catfish, I think right. uh, okay. they all do it kind of the same way. So electric catfish and electric eels, I think do the exact same thing. And that is they're able to create a charge by rubbing their, it's, I don't know if it's like a muscle fiber or Chris, you got to help me here. Yeah. Yeah. If okay. it's a muscle fiber or a specific, uh, well, they could literally just be, skin, they but, could literally just be like twitching two surfaces together internally. Yeah. I was going to make a joke about them rubbing balloons on their chests. Okay. There you and, go. But that's like what they're doing. <laughs> yep. Wow. And then they store the charge somehow? Well, they don't actually store it. They kind of just do it on on command. So as they oh, need to, they which is uh, it, yeah. the funny thing is they, they shock themselves as they're shocking everything else, which is probably why they look so silly when they do it. They kind of like flinch and kind of stop for a second while they do it, while they're trying to shock everything around them. But yeah, it's it's a weird, weird process uh, of 
just twitching and sending like electrical current out into the water. And I don't think it's quite as much as like people make it out to be. Chris, you gotta, uh, I, I don't know if you know for sure, but uh, if, and you have to be relatively close to them. Yeah. Like if you're somewhere it's, else, like it, if you were in the same bathtub as them, you might not even feel it. You have well, to be very close. You, I don't think they could kill a person. The, the, the shock is no. meant to kill us like a, like a crayfish. They're a freshwater animal. So like a crayfish, little benthic organisms of a small fish that's wandered a little too close. They kind of live in like muddy areas. So their, their eyes are like tiny little worthless pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it's much you, you might if they were really close up to you it would probably be painful but i'm not sure that it has the kind of amperage to to stop your heart or something like that wow I think, I think they've been blown up by the media quite yeah. a bit like they're they're super cool and the fact that they can even do it is super interesting. Yeah. But I've I've been shocked by an electric catfish, yeah. which is extremely similar. Right. And it it is like if you've ever gotten a bad shock on a like an elevator door or a doorknob after shuffling around on a carpet, a really bad shock, it's very similar to that. I've also been shocked by things that are much like electrical stuff, which hurts much a worse. heck of a yeah. lot more. Getting knocked off yeah, of the ladder. So that sucks. <laughs> uh so it, you know, it's I mean, their shocks are inconvenient at best, <laughs> but uh, it's it's fascinating that they can even pull it off. And where were you shocked by an electric catfish? Do those live he- around here? He probably uh, owned one. I would be willing to bet he no, owned one. I yeah. did. I yeah, did own one after afterwards. I've okay. got here. I got a. Here's a little story from my past when I was working uh, at Big Al's in. Uh, I believe this was in Oakville back in the day when they had that location. Big Al's Aquarium um, Services. Just for people who don't know what Big Al's is, it's a fish. Yes, store. that it's a fish store or chain in Canada. So I was working in this fish room, or in the dry goods, anyways. But I was back in the fish room, like I often was, staring at these fish because I was obsessed with them, right? And uh, one of the fish room staff basically came up to me and said, "Hey, have you guys, you know, seen the velvet catfish?" They called it, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. And I was like, no, it's, I've never seen a velvet catfish. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's it right there. And they are like these nubby little, like completely smooth looking. They, they do look kind of soft. They don't have like large fins or anything. They're very, very bulbous and kind of they look like a, I don't know, like a thumb with like a fin on the back. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, no, I've never seen them. They're like, oh, you should touch it. They're like the softest thing on the planet. And I'm like, oh, OK. Sure. So I shove my hand in there <laughs> and I stroke this little catfish pissing it right off so i got a little zap and pulled my hand out really quick and uh they laughed and that's how i learned about electric catfish and i immediately (laughs) purchased one because that's what you do when you get shocked by a fish (laughs) that's hilarious so people are jerks in keeping it would you just like put something in there and then it would shock it and kill it and eat it no they're they're not even that interesting you just give you just give them pellets or something yeah yeah, the only time they really shock is as self-defense, and it's, again, it, it it gets old. They're not a pretty fish. They don't come out. They hide all the time. It's probably nocturnal. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Again, uh, useless, shitty little eyes that don't really do anything. <laughs> Worthless pieces of shit, I believe they were called. Yeah. <laughs> to quote Chris directly, yeah. They are pretty cute, though. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm Googling... Okay. Every everything. single thing okay, we talk cool. about. Uh, and the catfish are cute. Great. Yeah. 
I'll need That's you to all. keep a running tab of all of the uh, animals you're Googling for me, yeah, Liz, for Instagram later. and then rate Instagram them all later. on cuteness and <laughs> oh, yeah. make a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> we have a sponsor, so we're going to take a break. Perfect. This episode is brought to you by Just the Tip Hand Poke Tattoos. And if you've been listening for a while... You'll know that JTT Tattoos is one of our super besties and one of the show's co-creators, Sarah Wright. Sarah does detailed and whimsical custom handpoke tattoos, specializing in botanicals and super weird shit, which we know you love. And it's done in the comfort of a cozy wood fire warmed private studio in beautiful Perth, Ontario, Canada. Just the tip welcomes all bodies, meaning everybody is welcome, unless you're a dick, in which case you're not welcome. <laughs> Check out their work at Just the Tip Handpoke Tattoos on Instagram or at Just the Tip Handpoke Tattoos.com. That's J U S T T H E T. Nope, I'm not going to spell that. And you can book online. Just, just the, the Tip, tip Handpoke Tattoos.com. And now for our sponsored segment with Sarah Wright, it's Just the Tips. Sarah, in this time of pandemic, what is the best pet to keep to prepare for the apocalypse? If we're talking about the apocalypse as in how everything has changed rapidly and it would be wise to secure food sources, which is my main prerogative these days, I would have to say Muscovy ducks. Muscovy ducks are the best pet because they're super fucking cute and they walk in a little line and that's adorable and they're really pretty and gentle and nice to look at. They lay eggs almost every single day, big, beautiful, gorgeous duck eggs. If you let them gather up their eggs at some point, they'll start sitting on them and they can have up to like 20 ducklings in one batch. They're prolific. They're funny to watch mate because the boys have this penis that comes out and it looks like a wet fusilli noodle. It's so disgusting. And then, not least of all, they're the most delicious meat you will ever, ever eat. And they're a breeze to slaughter and do all that stuff with. So I say get a Muscovy duck. That way you have entertainment, a nice pet with a lot of personality, egg source, and gorgeous red meat. The only poultry that you can eat rare. In fact, you must eat rare or I'll come to your house and light your car on fire. So there you go. Happy apocalyptic duck eating. Bye! If you have any questions for Sarah, send them in to teachmetigerpodcast at gmail.com and listen for them on an upcoming show. Thanks, Sarah. Just, Just the, the tip, tip tattoos.com. I was going to ask you guys about corals, and you did already cover this a little bit. Sure. So a coral, it's like animals, but is it part plant, kind of? Yeah, well... There's different families, so the, but the, the types that Thomas and I are interested in for the most part have algae that live inside their cells. Okay. And they sort of provide the algae with some waste, and the algae makes sugars, 
and some amino acids and sort of ex- exudes it out into the coral tissue. In the type that we would keep, it would be about 90% or so of their energy budget is provided by the, what's called zooxanthellae, which is a special type of algae that lives inside them. But then there's all the, then there's like completely azuxanthellate corals. So corals that have none and rely completely on catching little like bits of zooplankton out of the water. Mm -hmm. Lots of sea fans, what you would call them. Lots of more deeper water corals that don't have access to sun that have lost the ability or never had it to, to, to use that system. So they just catch animals just like a jellyfish would. They have little stinging tentacles and they, catch things that float by and then they put them in their mouths and they digest them. I did want to ask how they eat and poop. Okay. Yep. Because I'm wondering, are their mouths and butts the, the same thing? They are. It's called a pharynx. And actually, it's a very common mode of digesting in the animal kingdom. Just All kinds of different animals from flatworms have this basically just a sack there's no all purpose there's, orifice there's no anus it's just they just eat it <laughs> they, di- they, they, they ingest something <laughs> they ingest something they digest it and then they they push out whatever they can't digest from huh. the same hole it's just called a pharynx all purpose orifice yep sexy yep, yep. yeah right <laughs> tasty on the way out <laughs> You get to taste it twice, before and after. Oh, God. (laughs) I will say, though, like the act of, if you look at a coral polyp up close, or even an anemone, which is basically just like a macro polyp, when, when they're putting food in, it does look a lot different than when they're expelling it. And when they're putting it in, they're basically, one of their tentacles is shoving this piece of food in its mouth. It barely opens its little mouth. It gets it in there, and it closes down on it right away and puffs up. But when it's expelling it, it's like it's like it's trying to get as far away from that shit coming out of it as possible. <laughs> like <laughs> its mouth gets super wide, the whole thing like shrinks and peels back, and it's just like, Bleh, get the hell out of me. Yeah, and then- it, it's almost like they eat and then puke <laughs> rather than yeah. shitting. It's like they're eating and then they're puking. Yeah, and the, it, it's like oh, I can imagine it's like how I felt you know, after a really bad night of drinking and I'm just like feeling awful in the morning and I'm just trying to get that stuff out without getting it all over me. Yeah. yeah that's basically what they look like. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's their, it's their life, but I wouldn't want to live it. You know, it's not as sexy as I thought. Right. Definitely. <laughs> this all purpose orifice. <laughs> <laughs> How do they reproduce? Well, like there's two modes. There's Ooh, broadcast uh, bonding for the most. Yeah. The, the, the actual sexual reproduction is, Everybody just kind of cues up and releases egg and sperm into the water column all at the same time. Oh. It's usually lunar cued, so it'll be on like a full moon at a certain time of year, maybe a couple times a year. And then they have... Literally, they, they, they reproduce during the full moon? Yep. So they, and then like the entire reef will spawn all at the same time. That is sexy. I take it back. Yeah, yeah coral orgy. Uh, and then the other mode, Thomas, you can tell us about the asexual yeah, sure. modes. The asexual mode, um, which can happen naturally or can be forced, um, which we often actually take advantage of in the, the aquarium hobby, is through fragmentation. So some corals, like there's various leather corals and soft corals that will do this on their own, where um, they will literally just have a small piece of themselves that they will chop off and that will fall down and begin to grow a new coral. 
So they're just dividing themselves up. And for other corals like acropores and other, like when you think of staghorn corals or those hard corals that make up a, a reef, those corals, you can actually break them apart. And when you think about it, it's kind of like if you were to take an apartment building and just segregate, like break it all up into separate pieces and stick them in different places. So that piece or branch of the coral that you break off still has, you know, let's say 10 or 15 little polyps or individual animals living in that piece of coral. And you just move it somewhere else, you glue it down and they're like, okay, this is where we're building now. And they just start, you know, creating more skeleton and uh, attaching themselves to whatever they've fallen onto um, and growing more polyps. And through that fragmentation or or in the hobby, we just call it fragging for short. Uh, We can propagate corals and grow corals and that way we don't have to take corals from the reef if we don't have to we can just trade them with friends and there are lots of actually places in in the u.s and even in canada that propagate coral and sell them um, as their main business and yeah, yeah it's just that's my favorite way to do it an addendum, gardening. an addendum to that is that just for people who don't know a coral polyp undergoes binary fission so it basically just splits itself apart and it and essentially like clones itself that's how coral colonies grow is by the the polyps basically just sort of pinching off from each other and growing into twins and then doing it again and again and again until the colony is very large so the members of the colony are genetically identical whoa what's the how is that beneficial uh that's just how it is i don't know if it's beneficial or not individual colonies would be genetically distinct for the most part unless it was a piece that had broken off and you know grow the new colony from an old colony but the but only one whole way, colony would be basically the same thing, like the same yeah, organism the, over it, and over yes. again. Exactly, genetically identical clones in the in the colony. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But those colonies can still breed with each other through that like a uh, broadcast breeding event that Chris was talking about earlier. Yep. So that whole group of <laughs> clones will breed with an entire differently, you know, different group of clones, and then they'll start a new colony of clones. Oh, <laughs> just to make things weirder for you. Yep. So when you were talking about the two reproductive modes, yep. you're saying that the one species does both things. Yeah, they all okay. they all do. Yeah, interesting. They can all they can all be physically fragmented into new colonies, or they can genetically exchange material with egg and sperm, just like all other animals. Huh. huh. Interesting. And they just shoot it up into the water and yep. wait and see what happens. There's a, they have a larva. They have a, a similar larva, all called a planula larva. Planula larva is the only mobile stage of a coral. So planula larva can move oh. and find a spot. And then once they find a spot, they settle. They metamorphose into a very small individual polyp. And then they start trying to grow and divide into a colony. Wow. Neat. Yep. Coral are neat. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so corals are so neat, Mm -hmm. and I know that we need them because they, well, they're important for, like, animal habitat, and also they suck up carbon dioxide and release oxygen, so that's a big deal for um, climate change and that sort of thing. And I know that they're in danger from coral bleaching, so can you explain what coral bleaching is and if it can be reversed? Coral bleaching is basically when the zooxanthellae or that that symbiotic algae inside of the coral tissue is no longer able to live comfortably inside of the coral body. So things get really, really warm. The algae no longer find the coral to be a hospitable host for the mechanism causing them to leave. I don't fully understand. Chris can probably fill you in. But for whatever reason, 
they're like, it's too hot. I don't like it in here. I'm going to get out. And it evacuates the coral. So now there's a coral that relies, like Chris was explaining earlier, 90% of its food comes from this algae. It no longer has that algae. The algae is also responsible for the uh, dark coloration in the corals. So usually when there's a, a reef having this bleaching event, the corals don't necessarily all go white right away, uh, but they tend to end up extremely vibrant and pale in color. So you'll have a coral that might've looked red and now looks like a, a extremely bright pink. And that's because the darker portion of its uh, coloration, which is actually the symbiotic algae has left and vacated. So then you end up with this reef that's just glowing, eerily glowing. And um, the corals will eventually starve because they don't have that algae making food for them. They can only bring so much food into their bodies from capturing it, the polyps themselves, pulling it out of the water column in the form of, uh, you know, phytoplankton or zooplankton. And unfortunately, uh, over time, if, if the corals cannot find, uh, which they, they can't really try real hard because all they do is sit there, they can't move. But if Lazy they don't shits. have new algae, I know those bastards, <laughs> if they don't have new algae uh, host them, then they basically will starve to death and then they lose all their tissue. And then when the reef goes completely white, that's the skeleton showing and there's no tissue left. There's nothing on it anymore. It's just a skeleton. Yeah, so if the conditions return to hospitable on the reef, they can get recolonized fast enough, then they will survive. They'll color back up, the algae reproduces quickly in their tissues, and they're back up and running. But if they, you know, if the condition, basically the, the bleaching event is worse if it's an extended heat wave that doesn't, you know, die down to a, a, an acceptable level in the high 70 degree Fahrenheit range within a couple of weeks, then they're fucked couple of weeks yeah i mean they can they can manage for a couple of weeks you have to think of the energy budget of a coral is really slim they have this tiny little slivers of tissue sitting on top of a skeleton they don't have any fat reserves they have nothing so that means that like corals that have we've heard about in the news that are bleaching Mm -hmm. like they're already like kind of lost cause yeah, sometimes, but then there's also like, you know, they can get recolonized from other areas and stuff like that. So, and, and something interesting, um, is that corals will host and it, something we haven't really talked about is there are different species of zooxanthellae. Hmm. So the symbiotic algae that live inside of corals, there's different types and the same species of coral found in two different areas can actually host different types of symbiotic algae. So you could have, you know, an Acropora tenius, let's say, from one region that's hosting symbiotic algae A. And then that same species, Acropora tenius, three or four miles away in a slightly different region could be hosting symbiotic algae B. So you might have the coral in area number one die from that warming because the algae has vacated. But the algae that's in the second area hasn't vacated the coral because it's more tolerant. So there are certain situations where you can take coral or fragmentations of the coral from that area that is still surviving in that new temperature because the symbiotic algae is different and it can cope with it, break them off, introduce them to the reef where it's been vacated in hopes that that algae will then spread to the other corals, which it can. It can leave the coral tissue. Corals will expel algae if there's too much light. There's lots of reasons why why they will do it on purpose. They poop it out. Um, 
if not from if there's too much they yeah they if there's too much they'll poop it out they kind of regulate how much algae they host at a time they're like no too much algae get out guys you're evicted yeah. but then that algae will search for a new host and then hopefully it will you know colonize those other corals that have lost their algae because that algae wasn't able to cope with the conditions so there is always that hope of having them recolonize even when it seems like they might not be able to because the temperature's not going back down. But it's it's not as easy as I'm making it sound. So the success rate isn't nearly as high as if you were to just put that coral in a, in a hospitable environment and then the original zooxanthellae that was hosting it that's already in that area would return. So for reefs that are like really on the way out, can we reverse it? Like could we what would it take to repopulate them to make them the way they were before? Let's say we fix global warming <laughs> and the oceans stop heating up so much. Would we be able to regrow the coral? Probably. The the the, the short answer is definitely uh, we can. There's already, I guess, there's already a bunch of programs that are in place where people are, or organizations rather, are growing corals in the middle of the ocean in areas that haven't heated up or in areas that aren't necessarily reefs yet by suspending it in the water column close enough to the surface that it gets enough light and it's getting enough phytoplankton or or zooplankton and the corals are actually growing and then they're taking these colonies that have been grown on what are essentially ropes just hanging down from the surface and they're replanting them to rebuild the reefs in areas where the reefs were damaged or destroyed. That's so, exciting. That makes me feel good. I feel depressed about the yeah. state of the environment all the time. Yeah. yeah. No, so th- there are already programs in place where they're trying to uh, grow corals, like taking frags or fragmenting coral that uh, you know exist or are thriving in other areas, growing them out in the ocean where you know they can do it, where the, the, the water is not too hot, but probably a a bit of an intermediate between where the coral reef has died and where these corals are originating from and then moving them over and growing them back on the reef to kind of get things back to where they should be because yeah when when these reefs die a lot more happens than just you know the corals are dead the fish go away everything kind of quiets down the sound of the reef changes which is uh, uh, something i learned actually probably in the last couple of years is that underwater reefs are extremely noisy there's a lot of snapping and crackling and pops. It sounds like a bowl of Rice Krispies if you listen to it. That's what a reef sounds like uh, yeah. underwater. They found that fish are actually extremely attracted to that sound. So when that sound stops, the fish just bail. The cool thing is you could have a reef that is dead, put a, a speaker playing that sound underwater, and the fish will start to come back. No way! They hear it and they're like, oh, wait, that's the place to be. So they all start to, to come back. So as as heartbreaking <laughs> as it is and as how serious like glo- like global warming has affected the oceans and how devastating it is to, to constantly hear about like the decline, there is still hope. Like when we we are able to, you know, stop things from getting worse, we can actually start rebuilding. We can start putting artificial reefs in place, start, uh, you know, taking those propagated corals replanting them so that they regrow and attracting fish by you know playing the necessary sounds and having all the uh you know fauna come back to the area too and then hopefully all those places that used to be beautiful and are just desolate now can be beautiful once more that's exciting yeah thanks fingers crossed we can pull that off yeah right jesus <laughs> and the coral i guess they need like a very specific amount of sunlight or the algae need a specific amount of sunlight yep 
to survive. So that's why, because I keep thinking like, why don't the corals just creep further out where it's a little bit colder, but they have to be so close to the surface, right? Yeah, there's a specific depth that they're found at. Depends on the species, but yeah. Right. Guys, are corals the nurseries of the sea like in Finding Nemo? Do animals lay their eggs there for safekeeping? Well, the animals you know all, what? all live there because it's so such a complex environment where you can dart in and out. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, they, they, breed, I, I, they breed where they live. They do. But funny enough, I think that, like, if I had to say something was the nursery of the, of the ocean, I actually think it's mangrove forests. Yeah, that's Aww. true. Tell me what that is. A mangrove forest? You can go go for it. Mangroves are the only trees on earth that can live in salt water. They live on little stilts, and then they form these really complicated root systems that are great for, well, they're nurseries for sharks. I know that. A bunch of, like, a whole bunch of shark species have their their young there, and uh, it's just because large predators basically can't get in. It's like a, a labyrinth of sort of roots. And where do, where, yeah. where would you find those? The edges of continents in the tropics that sort of are near reefs, usually. Mangrove forests are also largely responsible for protecting those land masses from storms. So you'll often find a reef, and then behind the reef, there's a mangrove forest, and then behind that is the landmass or the beach or whatever it is. But yeah, Chris nailed it. Like there's tons and tons and tons of space for these baby fish where large predators can't get in. Just as an example, I was in Belize and I did some uh, snorkeling and stuff and seeing these big, beautiful angelfish out on the reef. And then when I took a little canoe trip and took my underwater camera to the mangrove forests, which are far, far away from the reef, like miles All I found was the juvenile stages of those angelfish and other fish that I'd seen on the reef. So it's really cool to see like all of the young fish in one spot and then go out to the reef and see all of the mature fish. It was a really cool contrast. Interestingly, let me say something that that says that reefs are not the, what did you say, cradle? The nursery. 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 When, When you have little tiny larval fish, like translucent, they don't look anything like their parents. They're basically just... Very primitive, little transparent fish. Those actually live just in the open ocean. So the parents sort of like breed in the in the reef. The babies kind of float away into the open ocean. 99.999 repeating percent of them get eaten. And the few that don't come back to colonize the reef. Hmm. They basically are just plankton for whatever number of days the you know species to species could be 10 days could be 300 days depends on the species well i mean i think that's all really interesting because like they kind of breed in numbers like that because the food chain has like evolved over a gazillion years so that they are food for something else right yep which is why that larval collection is so effective because it doesn't affect the adult populations in any way whatsoever to collect larvae I was watching um, a documentary on the caribou in the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. Okay. And it was the caribou. um, There's a connection here. (laughs) And there's a migration where the caribou have their babies and then they migrate back to their winter feeding grounds. And so while they're migrating, a lot of the babies will get separated from their moms in the herd. And then they're like, oh, where's my mom? Where's my mom? And it's really sad. And then there are wolves and bears that follow the herd. And they prey on these babies that that um, 
they get lost. Yeah. And there's they showed this one bear that was like dragging like six caribou carcasses into its lair. Oh, but the reason why there's so many caribou is because the babies that don't survive need to be food for bears and wolves. That's the way the food chain works. Right. And then right. the rest of them live to become adult caribou. And even though it's sad and hard to watch, it's just like the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Yep. We all got to eat. <laughs> that bear was my hero, though. <laughs> kind of. He wasn't picking off little babies. Yeah. The caribou herd had crossed a river and some of the caribou hadn't made it and they drowned. And so he was like, score. And he was <laughs> literally dragging like he had like eight or nine caribou carcasses. And he was just like, oh, like he could barely <laughs> move them all. <laughs> um, We're going to wrap up the fish talk pretty soon. Perfect. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Chris is like, I'm sick of it. Was there anything <laughs> was there anything, Chris or Thomas, that you wanted to share with our audience about the SeaWorld ocean? Every, everyone should look up the coelacanth and the story of the coelacanth, because it's one of the most interesting scientific stories out there. Oh. What what is that? Oh, uh, I know. That is my favorite fish. Uh it's a really weird fish that has like legs and arms basically it's 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 the last of the lobed fin fishes there's these major divisions in the fish and it's it's basically a relic from a bygone era and we thought it was extinct until about 1929 when they found this little population off the coast of africa and i think there's only two little populations that they've ever found it's a bizarre looking fish and it's called a coelacanth Huh. It's it's spelled really weird. It's spelled coelacanth. Yeah. Just so if you try <laughs> to look up coelacanth, <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna find it. C o e l a c a n t h or something like that. They look like dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They they have fossils of them. Fossilized coelacanths exist because they're that freaking old. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's that's really really cool. cool. It's got like the most normal looking fish head though. Like if you just saw its head, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's a fish." Except but then the you look at the rest eyes. of its body, and you're like, "What the hell is wrong with the rest of this fish?" <laughs> <laughs> Are there other what? fish that we would know that they've found fossils of from dinosaur days? Are there other particularly old types of fish? L- lungfish, which is that's sort yeah. of sort of a little bit similar to the coelacanth. Bowfins. There's some. There's some of those sort of living fossil type stuff. But most of the bony fish, that's 99.999% of all the fish on the planet, I think have only been around for a couple hundred million years. Maybe, I don't know, maybe less than that. I don't, I don't actually know, but not very long. A couple hundred million years sounds really, really yeah. uh, long to yeah, me. Yeah, maybe a couple million years. I can't remember what the actual... Even a cool couple mil sounds pretty long. <laughs> all right. <laughs> geologically, they're geologically young. Right. Yeah. Anyway, remember a few months ago, or maybe even longer, they found a sh- there was a shark in Iceland that was like 400 years old. Okay. Do you remember that? Nope. Okay. So basically, <laughs> yes. yes, I do remember. It was okay. a Greenland shark, I think. Yes. Do shark, and it was 400 years old. They're like, yeah, it just lives in the deep, dark, cold ocean, and it takes a long time to age. And this living creature that's swimming around and alive is 400 years old. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of... They think some of the anemones and starfish in the Arctic and Antarctic may live up to 10,000 years. What? Because the water's very close to... to us. The water's very close to zero, right? So their metabolic rate is just a crawl. Huh. It's mind-blowing to me. Like, when I heard the story about the shark, I was like, what? 
That's bullshit. What? Basically, if you're you're cold-blooded and you're living in one degree Celsius water, then your metabolism is almost non-existent. (laughs) Right. You're like a slot. They probably never move. Yeah. Well, I think they also believe that corals, for the most part, just live forever. Yeah, as long as the individual... They're not sure. Yeah. As long as the individual colony kind of, uh, yeah, I'm sure that'll take a long time to figure out. <laughs> they're they're not sure how, yeah, how old a coral can get before it dies of old age. Like they'll before typically it die of something else first. Yeah, really, yeah. that's interesting. Hmm. Before we move on, Holly, our daughter wanted to participate. So, hey, Daddy, what's the story of when you got bit by a lionfish? What did it feel like? I was cleaning a fish tank in a coffee shop in Vaughn, a few blocks away from where Thomas and I worked together. And they had a reef tank and they wanted this little dwarf lionfish. And so I put it in there. A, dwar- a lionfish is like a, it looks kind of like a bass. Uh, it's got a big mouth. It gulps prey, but then it's got all these little spines on it. And the spines are all connected back to little venom sacs. And if you impale yourself on one of the spines, then you get injected with the venom and uh, it causes a great deal of pain. So I was scrubbing this tank and talking to the barista, and I was usually very, very um, cautious. <laughs> you know, There's I, something that I really love about that expression. So I was scrubbing this tank, talking to the barista. She's very friendly. Her name is Josie. And so I'm talking to Josie, and I like just brushed up against this dwarf lionfish just for a second, and I felt just a tiny little twinge, like like nothing. I was like, ah, just like, you know, felt like nothing, just a tiny, tiny little twinge. I wasn't even sure I'd touched it. And sure enough, 15 minutes later, my arm, where I'd been kind of grazed, which was like the top of my hand, but just the top of my hand, started to burn just a little bit. And so I'm like kind of racing to, to just just finish up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm starting to get slightly uncomfortable. And another 15 minutes goes by, and I'm, I'm really starting to sweat. I'm, I'm in pain. <laughs> my hand is hurting, trying to get everything back in my car, and it's rush hour. So I'm like trying to go to my next location, which is a, a lawyer's house to clean his tank. And he's thankfully not home. So I'm in the car and it is fucking hurting. I'm only going a few a few blocks, but it takes, you know, 40 minutes because it's fucking Vaughn. And Vaughn has terrible traffic. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> pain is building, building, building. And I get to the lawyer's house and I am absolutely going out of my mind. I My skin is burning and it's a stabbing, burning pain. And oh my God. Ev- eventually, you know, this is maybe an hour and 15 minutes after this thing. I'm literally writhing around on this lawyer's basement carpet, screeching, clutching my hand, uh, <laughs> just trying to ride it out. So that was another 45 minutes of the writhing and the screeching and the clutching. Uh <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, of some of the most, in- I think it's certainly the most intense, prolonged pain I've ever experienced. I've had short bursts of pain where it lasts for a moment that were more intense, but in terms of prolonged, ongoing pain, it was approximately three hours, and then I was able to get up off the lawyer's floor, clean his aquarium with my other hand, oh god. and then go to a drugstore get some painkillers. And then head home to Melody. <laughs> so you actually just laid on a stranger, well, not a stranger, your client's floor for yeah. three hours? Screeching, yes. What if he came home? That'd be hilarious. He, he wasn't going to come home. He was on vacation. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but while I was, you know, while I was on the floor, I like, you know, Googled like, you know, whether I was going to die and it seemed like I wasn't. So I didn't go to the hospital. 
I, I hope he had a nanny cam. I wasn't having a. <laughs> <laughs> he might have. He did have a nanny. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. hope oh he watched God. it. Did he ever call every him every again? every Christmas? He's just he's popping that one. Out. Hey everybody, <laughs> watch come this. watch this. Come this watch guy's this. in a lot of pain. <laughs> Oh anyway, that's, that's tense. they use that. They use the same fish in rituals in Polynesia to initiate. Uh, it's it's a manhood ritual, so that the boy has to like endure the pain of the lionfish's sting. Well, I mean, I just obviously googled a picture of it, and yeah. it's pretty clearly telling you to stay away. Mm-hmm. I did. It's very spiky. I cleaned that fish tank a hundred times. I got stung one time oh i mean i'm not directing that really at you but just generally it seemed like an attack like if nature is definitely saying like <laughs> stay back <laughs> i feel like you're stinging me like that lionfish with your judgment yeah, flamboyant things in nature don't usually in are, are usually inviting right. also no. chris is that when you became a man yeah <laughs> that's when i became a man yes <laughs> <laughs> What are you guys listening to? What are you listening to? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. I have realized lately that I really, maybe I mentioned this on another podcast, but the Matt Matt Good Band is so good. What else you have mentioned? Matthew Good Band is so good. It is really good, actually. I used to listen to it a lot. Love it. I've been listening to their greatest hits a lot, and it's so good. Uh, This is awesome. We're all Canadians here. Yeah. Matt Good band is yeah. was super popular in canada like what in like the 90s yeah late 90s early sure. 2000s yeah. kind of yeah. maybe i'm yeah. just saying that because not everyone who listens oh, to this oh, is okay. in canada okay. and they right. don't know who matt good is i thought he's he's an american he's american isn't he yeah no matt good band isn't he canadian no Really? No, Matt Good's, Matt Good's he's American. American. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Mark Barron has a joke about him and oh. his fans. Huh. I'm Googling no, it right Mark now because I don't believe you people. Okay. Thomas, what are you listening to? You're just, I, I don't listen to anything in particular. Uh, I've been trying to get back into guitar. I've been playing guitar like most of my life. And uh, I've been trying to like get back into it. And, you know, since having kids, I just, you know, you don't have time for guitar. I've been on like a almost five-year hiatus but yeah i've been getting back into it and i've been listening to this uh guitarist jackie vincent i think he's in his 20s young guy super successful he, he was in a band um oh what was this band's name it wasn't his band it's Rod- rodney 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 radcliffe rodney radcliffe whatever his name is anyways so but he's just like insanely fast playing guitarist he plays super super quick i've also been listening to um what do they call it lo-fi beats like specifically um like remakes of like pokemon uh music or zelda music as these lo-fi hip-hop beats which is really cool cool. and i think that's mostly it can you think of of oldies can you think of a a, an example of a song title of the this lo-fi yeah absolutely so uh one of them the title is lavender town Ooh, i want to go to lavender town This is Lavender Town by Mikkel from the album Poke and Chill. It's where yeah, all me the too. ghost Pokemon good. live in the original uh, okay. red and blue versions. Huh. 
So if you want a Gengar or a Ghastly or a Haunter, you can go to Lavender Town and go to the the tower, (laughs) (laughs) which is basically a vertical graveyard. It's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, I just want to tell you guys something. She's got that. I told you so. Look on her face. Yeah, I just Matthew I just Googled it, Melody. Good Band was a Canadian alternative rock band formed in Coquitlam, British Columbia in 1995. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. They became Represent. one of the most successful rock bands in Canada during the late 90s and early 2000s, being nominated for 14 Juno Awards and winning the awards for Best Group and Best Rock Album in So you're 2000. saying Americans don't know the songs no. of Matthew Good? We're thinking of Dave Matthews. Oh, okay. Oh, That's Dave Matthews fan, yeah. Yeah, and so I googled Mark Maron joke about Matt Good, and and then it was like Mark Maron's joke about Dave Matthews. <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens. It happens. I was I, I've been listening to Dave Matthews is what I meant to say. Is that actually what you meant to say? <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking know any Mac. I don't know. It's what uh, I can get my phone, but I don't fucking know. What one, one you, of the two? You've Fuck been it. listening to Dave Matthews like under the table and dreaming. Dave Matthews? No, it must be Matt Good. I think you're listening to Matt Good. Well, you're not know like who the much fuck of a Dave, Dave Matthews, Matthews is. Okay, okay, okay. Like what songs? What <laughs> are the lyrics? Just like uh, that. Whatever puts me all the way out. Yeah, that's that the guy? one. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, Matthew Good. Okay, good. Whatever puts me all the way out. Whatever puts me all the way out. That's the one. Great. Good. Great. How do they not know the, that guy? His songs are amazing. Do you know there's so many legendary Canadian bands that are so friggin' huge here that people in the I know States, they don't know Tragically Hip, but. My sister, when yeah. she was in school near Boston, right. went and saw the hip play in like a very small bar. Oh. Because. They just don't know them. They just yeah. don't know them like yeah. we know them. And, and. There is a difference in the music I that guess. comes out of Canada. Yeah. I think it has. There's a Canadian sound. All right. I think. Cool. I don't know. I'm glad we cleared up the Matt Good, Dave Math. Who the fuck ever? I don't. Dave Matthews. I yeah, would just like to say yeah. that I was going to use my turn to yeah. talk about what I was listening to to okay. correct my error. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it because you haven't been listening to anything, Liz? <laughs> uh, no, I do have a podcast. To oh yeah. Tell, talk about. I really hope I didn't say it last time. But if I did, I'll record me saying a different podcast. But I have been listening to and say and really thinking it's hilarious is um, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Have I said oh. that before? I think you have said that before, but I also think it's okay to say it again if you yeah. really feel it. I've been I've been thinking now, about getting into that. It's really fucking funny. <laughs> is it? Yeah. There's there's too many commercials and they do have an ad free version, but I just fast forward through them. Um. He's Conan O'Brien's hilarious. I don't yeah. know what else to say. He's just really funny. Cool, were we cool. supposed to pick podcasts that we were listening to? Oh, no, not necessarily. Music. I did listen to, uh, I have listened to one podcast and it was with my wife and we laugh our asses off. Uh, and it's probably like been around for a long time already. But we, we listened to Bel- Belinda Blinked. Do oh. you know that one? Nope. It's, it's, uh, I think it's called My, my Dad Wrote a Porno. Yes. Oh, yes. I've, Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So we listen to that and we find that hilarious. Yes. Um, for many, many reasons. It's like a they're good complete. It's no idea about anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy grabbing cervixes. That's not a thing. Oh my <laughs> no. God. Yeah. I've listened to a couple episodes of it. It's, uh, it's pretty weird. Uh-huh. It, it goes 
it gets so much worse by the end. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Mel, what have nice. you been listening to? I have been listening to some old jams, singer-songwriter type stuff. The other night I had Elliot Smith on. I think that springtime is Elliot Smith time and also Iron and Wine and Sufi and Stevens. All those singer-songwriters that are like kind of really sad, mm. but really hopeful. I mean, Elliot Smith, like, drove a dagger through his own heart, so he was mostly sad, but the music... I'm a 365 kind of Sufjan Stevens kind of guy, personally. Yeah. It's a... What's your favorite song? I don't know the names of the songs. Sing it for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hear Elliot Smith, Melody, I think of you. <laughs> yes, because Liz, I used to make fun of Liz for I'm such a jerk. Liz, you're so good natured, and I really appreciate you not hating me after being roommates and me torturing you. Uh, Liz really liked the song "Needle in the Hay," and yeah. it goes "Needle in the Hay." <laughs> <laughs> that's the not hay. that's not the reason. <laughs> That's not the reason why I think of the album is you razzing me for liking that song. It's because you introduced me to Elliot Smith. I didn't know who he was before that. Oh, okay. I didn't actually like prepare myself with a favorite Elliot Smith song, but the first track on XO, which is his like kind of seminal album, Sweet Adeline, it's really good. Yeah, that's a. And Tomorrow, oh, Tomorrow is the second song. That's really good. It's yes. just really great. Go listen to Elliot Smith while you're driving your car, having like a COVID-19 isolation drive through the country. Play some Elliot Smith, crack your window a little bit. It's springtime. Feel it. Oh, good idea. Good yeah. idea. Yeah. The noise is coming out And if it's not out now Then tomorrow, tomorrow They took your life apart And called you failures are They were wrong, though They were wrong, Till tomorrow Uh, I think you, that'd be great. Do you guys have anything you would like to promote? Any plugs? Thomas, internet superstar? I work for Bulk Reef Supply. Buy their stuff. Watch their video. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people watch um, your videos? My videos? Yeah. On the internet, man. Uh, YouTube. Okay, so if, if you want to see... Um, my videos and kind of the the aquatic nerdiness that I get up to and aquarium keeping and reef keeping specifically, you can go to uh, YouTube and type in bulk reef supply or BRS TV and you will find my mug talking yeah. about them things, <laughs> having cool. a good old time bopping around in front of a camera like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want a lot of that, and learn about aquariums at the same time and maybe have a laugh because I make stupid puns, uh, then yeah, come come check it out. You've have had some good, good zingers on here for sure. Yay! Yeah, you have. <laughs> good puns, good puns. That's <laughs> right. My dad game is strong. Christopher Nothing Chambers. 
You have nothing to plug. Nothing to plug. You don't want to plug like oh, Capital no. Aquariums. Nope. Chris, Chris's company is <laughs> called Capital Aquarium. It's, Maintenance. Yeah. Uh, Ottawa Aquariums. Dot CA. CA. Thank you. Perfect. God, Chris, Chris, don't do your own marketing, man. Somebody else <laughs> help this guy out. Like you are, you're like, don't fucking hire me. Like, just leave me alone. Um, <laughs> Chris does here. I'll do it. Chris does amazing work. Like, if oh, there's one do. person who's been really consistent with the quality of the aquariums that they can produce, and only see like the thing about okay. Uh, and I got to hand it to you, Chris, the thing about taking care of other people's aquariums that are in remote locations that you don't see often is you only get to see them once in a while. Yep. So being able to maintain a tank with minimal contact and it consistently look good is a friggin' art form. And Chris has been doing it for a long time and he does it really, really well. And uh, I have a lot of respect for him for that. And I think if you want a, a an aquarium in your office or in your home or wherever, and you want to bring that joy and beauty and relaxation into your life, uh, Chris can help you do it. And even if you want to take care of it yourself, Chris can help you design a system and set it up in a way that's going to be easy for you to maintain so you don't have to break your back. And if you don't want to maintain it yourself, he can do all of that for you too. So don't hesitate to give him a call. He will quote you up for free. <laughs> wow. That's yes. Much better. Uh, that was yes. so good. Well done, Thomas. <laughs> Quote you up for free. I love it. Do you want to promote Liz too? Or <laughs> uh, hey, Liz. I don't know Liz, but she seems like a pretty awesome gal. And uh, you know, <laughs> with my minimal uh, interaction here today, I don't want to fuck up a potential friendship. So I'm gonna just go ahead and stop now before I say something stupid. <laughs> well, the one you did for Chris was really good. Hey, Liz. Yeah. Promote yourself, girl. My name is Liz. I'm a <laughs> photographer. My Instagram is L-I-Z-Z-O-U-S-E. My website's there. You can go look at it. Um, I should in the his portraits house. of people. That's me. I also have a full-time day job. So if you want me to take your portrait, it has to be on an evening or weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, Making it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepared to come to you. I feel like I should talk you up, Liz, because Thomas gave Chris such a glowing recommendation. Liz shot our wedding. She doesn't do that anymore, but she's really awesome. And she takes really great candid shots that really capture people's spirit. People's, what do you call that? Their essence? Their Je ne sais quoi. That. Je ne sais quoi. But, yes. but there's another thing. I don't know. Their chi or some shit. Okay. Liz her is really she. good at that. I steal their soul. <laughs> also, Liz is really great and fun, and 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 you want her to take your pictures, and then you're gonna want to be her best friend too. I like hanging out, and she'll drink you under the table. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I'm not gonna deny that shit. You can find the podcast at TeachMeTigerPodcast.ca. We're on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. Please subscribe. And if you have literally $2 a month to spare, that's less than a coffee. Consider going to patreon.com slash teach me tiger podcast to support the show. And when you do that, you get access to our many bonus episodes. Woo. So thanks so much to our guests today. Chris, my husband, he sort of had to be here. But Thomas and Liz, you didn't have to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. It was lots of fun. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, Thomas and I were chatting on the internet about how we haven't hung out. Oh, yeah. Uh, since oh, like, man. gosh, well, like when Chris and I first met, yeah, really. Yeah. So a long time. 
It's the last cool. time I saw you guys together was at your wedding. Oh, there you go. And it had been a long time before that. Yes. Yes. Anyway, it was great to talk to you. Likewise. I miss you guys. I miss you too. Can we come stay at your house? <laughs> yeah. We'd <laughs> love to have, have you. Do you have a guest room? <laughs> we do. We have five bedrooms. Wow. What? We're moving in. <laughs> we'll be there <laughs> in a week. To be, to be fair, I've turned two of them into a studio for shooting videos. And uh, the other one is the one I'm in right now. And it's just like full of aquarium crap. So nice. well, that's fine. Chris will stay I'll in that right one. I'll be right at home in that one. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much to everybody for listening. And uh, who's going to roar this time? It's got to be Thomas. I think it's got to be oh, yeah. Tommy B. And remember, it's, it's a, a jungle, jungle out there. there. that captures thomas's spirit wow that was amazing well it turned in arnold schwarzenegger at the end (laughs) well done done. (laughs) teach me tiger how to tease you